We will be reading from John chapter 20, and in the Pew Bible, you'll find it on page 906, as we enter into our series today. John chapter 20, page 906 in the Pew Bible, beginning in verse 19, reading through 23. We read, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Well, I'm sure I don't even need to ask if you remember the major event that took place in April of 2020. As life-changing as that event was and as that event was one that few of us thought would actually come to happen in our lifetime, but it did. It did, and in many ways, we're still dealing with the aftermath of it. And of course, I'm talking about the retirement of Ray Galinsky. <laughs> if you've only joined us in the last few years, I can tell you Ray Galinsky is the longest-standing elder and staff member here at Grace Church, having served here for over 20 years years, primarily as our pastor over missions and shepherding, but we have had to let him go and see him retire in April of 2020, only to be snatched up a few months later by two Every Tribe missions agency down in Brownsville, Texas, where he is continuing to work, uh, and we are joyfully supporting him there. But in April of 2020, I was asked to fill Ray's very large shoes and to take on this role of missions pastor, to add it to the other roles that I have had here at Grace Church. So for nearly two years now, I have been filling the role of missions pastor, and I can tell you that it has been, on the one hand, an absolute joy to do so. I absolutely love our missionaries. I, I think I said last week that by God's divine ordinance that we, I would get time, personal time, with every single one of our domestic missionaries before becoming the missions pastor, that he would give us time in uh, Israel with the Kashtans and time in Germany with the Kellys and, and time visiting all of our other missionaries at different times before I even stepped into the role, talking about those sent from here in America. And I just thought that was amazing that I had this personal connection with each of them before even starting. And I love the work that they're doing. It is so encouraging to see how the Lord has raised up and sent out missionaries from our midst and the work that they are doing all around the world. And I love our GO team. I love that we have a global outreach team, a team that I overheard someone had said recently is a team that was created to fuss over our missionaries when they're in town. I thought that was a great description. (laughs) We get to fuss over our missionaries when they're in town. Let them know that they're home when they come and visit us. But at the same time, it's been a role that's been quite daunting. Now, many of you know that the other role that I hold here at Grace Church is the role of youth pastor. And 
course, being a youth pastor can be daunting in its own right, right? So there's so much that like, you try to wrap your head around what, what the youth are wrestling with, what they're going through in life these days, what the gadgets are and what they're, you know, doing on those gadgets these days. I'm trying to stay up to snuff with that type of thing. I'm trying to teach scripture in a way that they actually will receive it and hear it for what it is. I'm trying to be fun without getting my ACL torn by certain members of the youth ministry who will remain nameless but go by the Stevens brothers. <laughs> but as daunting as that can feel, the, the role of missions pastor has felt even more daunting at times. I think it begins with the scope of the role. Missions pastor. The whole world. That's your scope. We're going to be reaching the whole world, and, and you're the one who's going to lead the way for helping us to know how to do that. Or perhaps it's my own limitations, and I really, I'm not trying to like put forward some sort of false humility here, but there's, there's real limitations up here behind this pulpit, right? So evangelism, not one of my strong suits, never has been. Something I've been praying about, something I've grown in over the years, but, but something that has terrified me for, for many of my adult years. Uh, it doesn't so much anymore, but it, it's something I still have a long way to go in. Apologetics. Uh, I enjoy reading what other people do in apologetics and, and trying to wrap my head around it and, and use it in circumstances. It's not my gifting. It's not what I'm naturally wired to do. I know that I was on the mission field for six years. Many of you know that. And that is a long time. It felt like a long time. But in the grand scheme of things, long-term missions, after six years, you're really just getting started. Your main years of fruit are on the other side of those six years, not behind you. And we didn't go longer than that. Uh, formal education. I'm no missiologist. I didn't study missions when I was at college or in grad school. And when you add to all of my limitations, the limitations of all of you, we're in a real mess, right? <laughs> and somehow, we are going to have to figure this out together, how I, as your missions pastor, and, and you as the church, all of us called to extend Christ's kingdom to our neighbors and to the world, we have got quite the task ahead of us, don't we? And it's one that has not been lost on me as, as, I've, as I've stepped into this role. I've, I've sat in my office and thought, how am I going to do this? How are we going to do this? How is the local church going to engage in Christ's mission? How do we do that well? So for the past two years, as I've asked that question, I've, I've added to it a number of other questions like, how are we as a church going to be faithful to keep missions a priority? How are we going to engage in the global work of reaching those who are far away from us? How are we going to identify and raise up and send out and support missionaries sent to unreached and underreached people groups? How are we going to engage also in the local work of missions? How are we going to become people who are the hands and feet to our communities and our schools and our businesses and our cities? How are we going to keep from becoming a church that doesn't see beyond its own walls? 
or a church that is motivated more by preserving the status quo than the Great Commission, or a church that allots the work of missions to them out there but doesn't own it among us in here. The bottom line being, how are we going to respond to the call to missions? Well, that is the very question we aim to answer over the next three weeks in a series I've titled, Answering the Call to Missions. A series which we aim to answer three questions over the next three weeks, today being, who is responsible for answering the call to missions? Next week being, where will we go to answer the call to missions? And the final week, what ought to be our goals as we answer the call to missions? And my primary aim in this series is not simply to just educate you on missions, but rather that we as a church will understand and then answer the Lord's call to missions. And we're going to begin today by looking at John chapter 20, verse 21. Well, our verse falls into the storyline of the Gospel of John after Jesus' resurrection. In fact, it is the very evening of Jesus' resurrection. And Jesus has appeared for the first time to all the disciples who are in the room with locked doors for fear of the Jews. And Jesus' words that he speaks here are among the final instructions that Jesus is going to give before he ends his earthly ministry prior to taking up his throne in heaven. And as we look at the Gospels as a whole, including Acts, which the Gospels being the testimonies of Jesus' life written by his disciples, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we believe Mark's was Peter's version, Mark writing down Peter's version uh, of the accounts of Jesus' life, and Acts being Luke's second book, following up on his first book, the Gospel, explaining how the church spread and was established. What we see is that in each of these books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, there is a commissioning by Jesus Christ of his disciples. Now, traditionally, we call Matthew's account of that the Great Commission. It is the most succinct one. It is, it is helpful. It gives all, a lot of different details. But the reality is it is actually one of five commissionings. And Jesus must have been saying these things a lot during those times between his resurrection and his ascension because they're marked at different times during that uh, season. So here in John, Jesus' words are spoken the very day of his resurrection. And then we're going to see different statements made in the other Gospels ending with Acts right before his ascension. So here we are going to look at John's account of Jesus' commission. And it is in verse 21 where we see Jesus saying again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This is the shortest of the commissions. It's just three simple phrases, phrases that we are going to take one at a time. Beginning with, Peace be with you, and I have titled this The Message of the Mission. You can see an outline in your bulletin if you're following along there. This is the message of the mission, peace be with you. Now, peace be with you, that would have been a very conventional greeting. That's how the Jews would have said, hello, good morning, good afternoon, as it's the beginning of the conversation. Peace be with you, shalom aleikum. 
But it would appear, and I would argue, that Jesus is doing more here than simply saying hello to his disciples. And I I think that for two reasons. The first being, we have to understand what has just happened. Jesus has just died. Jesus has just been buried very much dead in a tomb that is sealed and guarded. And his disciples know the implications of this. They're afraid of what the Jews might do to them next. And so they've gathered in a room and they've locked the doors for fear of the Jews. And miraculously, we aren't told exactly how, miraculously, Jesus is in the room with them. And the very first words that Jesus speaks to his disciples are, peace be with you. Could it be that he means more than just, hello, The second thing that indicates there's more going on here is that is the second time Jesus has said this, right? So Jesus shows up in the room. Jesus says, peace be with you. And his disciples ask to see his hands and his side. And it says they're glad. They realize who it is. And then Jesus says it again as if to get the point across. No, no. Peace be with you. Well, if Jesus means more than hello, what exactly is Jesus saying to them? Is he he saying Peace be with you. Like, I know you're freaking out a little bit because I was dead and now I'm here. So calm down. Chill out. It's Jesus saying, I know you're afraid of the Jews, but but peace be with you. It's all going to be okay. Don't worry about the Jews. What could he mean by this? Well, I believe we get a clue when we look earlier in John's gospel. And if you want to turn there, just turn back to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, where we see that this is not the first time Jesus uses this word peace with his disciples. Jesus has taught his disciples about peace. There Jesus is teaching his disciples about the peace that he would one day give to them. And here is what he says in John chapter 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, and not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. If you flip forward to John chapter 16, verse 33, you'll see Jesus brings up this topic of peace once again. John 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Well, I believe both of these point to the fact that Jesus' words in our passage, they they mean much more than just hello. I believe that Jesus' words in John 20 are actually the fulfillment of what Jesus is telling his disciples will come back in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16. So in saying, peace be with you, he means exactly what he's saying, Peace, the peace that was promised back in chapters 16 and 14, may that peace now be with you. Understand that now that I have died and risen and defeated sin and death, this peace is yours. So what kind of peace is Jesus extending to his disciples back in chapters 14 and 16? Well, I would argue that this is a peace that is for you. In the sense that this is a personal peace that Jesus is offering. 
Jesus is offering a peace that is spoken to the individuals in that room from the very depths of his heart. It is a peace from the heart of Christ for the hearts of his disciples. It's a peace that Jesus speaks to them in response to their own troubled hearts. It's personal in the sense that you can picture Jesus looking in their eyes and saying, let not your hearts be troubled. It's a peace that knows all that troubles us and says, you are anxious about so many things, but look at me. Look into my eyes. I'm going to take care of you. You don't need to worry. Well, in addition to being a personal peace, it's a peace that Jesus says is different from the peace that the world gives. It's different than the peace that the world gives. So how does the world give us peace? Well, the world gives us peace with retirement accounts, with health insurance, with police officers and door locks and security cameras and missile defense systems and bomb shelters and North Atlantic treaty organizations. And we're very thankful for these things, especially when it feels like our peace might be threatened. But notice Jesus is saying, not as the world gives you peace. Do I give you peace? Jesus' peace is different. So how is it different? Well, Jesus' peace is different in that his peace is the kind of peace that can't be taken away. The peace Jesus offers his disciples is a peace that remains even when the retirement account runs empty or when health insurance fails to deliver you or when the police aren't there to save. It's a peace that remains when your health falls apart or when society falls apart or when rockets begin to fall and bomb shelters are no longer safe, when the enemy forces invade and when your very life is not guaranteed from minute to minute. It's a peace that's able to stand up to those kinds of days because it's a peace that isn't based on what is going on in the world around you because it is Christ's peace that he's offering you. Hear what he says in verse 14. He says, my peace, chapter 14 rather, my peace, Jesus is saying, my peace I give to you. What is Jesus' peace? Well, Jesus' peace is peace with God. It's peace that only a sinless Son of God can experience with his Holy Father. And it's by means of Jesus' death and resurrection that he can stand before his disciples and in the fullest meaning of those three words say, peace, four words, sorry, peace be with you he's giving his peace to his disciples and that is the peace that jesus is offering to us also it is a conventional greeting with unconventional meaning or far deeper meaning we should say and it's all available to us through jesus christ jesus comes to us and he gives us the message of the mission mission peace be with you. It's a message that we need to hear, don't we? You can be reconciled with God. God wants to be at peace with you. 
and where you could never have been at peace with him because of your sin and his holiness. Jesus Christ has accomplished the perfect sacrifice on your behalf so that you might have peace with God. And it's a peace that can never be taken away. It's a peace that you could walk into a Ukrainian bomb shelter today and say, peace be with you. And without any changes in their circumstances, it would be truer than true is true. That they could have peace in a way that no matter what tomorrow or the next five minutes holds, they would truly have peace with God and never lose it. Have you received this peace? We have to start there. We're going to talk about missions. Let's not assume that we have the gospel. Have you received that peace? When you watch the news, when you walk out your front door, when you check your finances, when you go to school, do you have that peace? That peace is waiting for you. It's been offered to you. It is given to you through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Receive that peace. That is our first step as a church. If we are to be a church on mission, we must receive Christ's peace first and foremost for ourselves before we think of taking it to the world around us. Well, the second phrase, as the Father sent me, points to the man who is to fulfill the mission. Having expressed the message of the mission to his disciples, Jesus now commissions them to take this message to the world, and he does so with these words, As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. In doing so, Jesus invites his disciples to understand their own commissioning as Jesus' commissioning from the Father. And for us to understand our sending, our commissioning, we must first ask the question, well then, how did the Father send the Son? Now, John has many things to say about this. It's, it's actually quite an interesting study. If you have software or go on the internet and you, and you search the book of John just for the word send or sent, you can see all the times that Jesus has brought up, the Father sent me to do this. But we can summarize a lot of what is said there in, in three verses. And the first of them is John 3.16. So as you are open in your Bibles to John, you can flip back to John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And there we read the, the familiar words, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So we see that Jesus is sent by the Father in love for the world, not to condemn the world, but to save it. Turn a few pages over to John chapter 6, verse 38. 638, where we read the words, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, the will of him who sent me. Come not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus understood his sending as a mission to carry out the Father's will, not his own. So sent to save, sent to do the Father's will. And then a few more pages, chapter 8, verse 29, we read, 
8.29. And he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So not only did Jesus understand his mission as a mission not to condemn, but to save, a mission to carry out the Father's will, he understood his mission as one in which the Father was going to go with him, guiding him and strengthening him along the way. And what we see in these passages, these three passages, is an affirmation that the Father had not sent Jesus to accomplish something new. This was not a new direction in God's plans. What we see in these passages is that Jesus had been sent as the man who would fulfill the one abiding mission of God the Father. The mission that had been put in place right in the very beginning after the fall. Put another way, you could say, we see that our God is a missionary God. And he's always been a missionary God since the day that Adam sinned and it was foretold that the seed of Eve would crush the head of the serpent. That in view was this man, Jesus Christ, who would one day come and fulfill God's one abiding mission. All that God had done up to this point had been leading up to this. Not to condemn the world, but to save it. Not to enact a different strategy, but to fulfill the one abiding mission that he's had in mind all along. A mission that he would not send Jesus on alone, but one that he would accomplish with him, guiding him and strengthening him along the way. This is at least a beginning to the depth of understanding behind the phrase, as the Father has sent me. And it, it sets the foundation for how we are to understand our own sending. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So how does our sending mirror God's sending of Jesus Christ. Well, like Jesus, we are being sent out on a rescue mission. Just as Jesus was sent to save, so Jesus' disciples are sent into a lost world in order to save souls. Just as Jesus pointed people to himself for salvation, so the disciples are to point people to Christ for salvation, and for peace with God. Just as Jesus came not to condemn the world, so our mission, our mission is not to communicate condemnation, but to communicate hope and life and the good news of salvation. Now, surely there are going to be people who reject that offer, aren't there? And it is, again, not our job to condemn. That is the work of God our perfect judge. It is our job to pray and to plead and to lay that good news before them until our dying days. Well, we are also, like Jesus, called to join the one abiding mission of the Father. I mean, this is, this is amazing. The sending of his disciples needs to be understood. That's my sending and your sending needs to be understood as being sent out on the one abiding mission of God the Father to reconcile a lost world to himself. That is how we must think of it. This is not something new. This is the one abiding mission, and we are being invited and sent by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to join in the work of spreading that one abiding mission. And it's also 
a mission that we don't go on alone, right? It's one where the Lord himself goes with us through his Holy Spirit given to us. And we we even see that in our passage, how Jesus, immediately after saying, I'm sending you, breathes on his disciples the Holy Spirit. So also, we receive the Holy Spirit. So as we go, we go with the sender going with us. The sender goes with us. It's not, I mean, think of this. Our mission is not just for Christ. It's with Christ. Our mission is not just for Christ. It's with Christ. So we are to be the messengers of God's mission. And we do it with Christ. Well, moving on um, for the sake of time, I want to point out that my main goal for this morning is for us to hear all of this And then to stop and reflect on the fact that this call to missions was not just given to the original 12 disciples. Nor is it just a general invitation. This call to missions that we need to answer is a call, a personal commissioning to each and every one of us who considers ourselves to be a Christ follower. Or to say it another way, just as the peace that Jesus offers his disciples in this passage is offered to each of us, so also the call to missions is every Christ's follower's calling. So the the call to extend that peace to the world around us is also our personal calling. So as we answer that question, who is called, the one thing I really want you to take away from today is is the, the deep realization that you are. You are called. Jesus has called you personally to extend his kingdom. It's something that we have to own. We have to receive it as such. And I think that's hard for us, isn't it? For so many reasons. I mean, you could, you could look at how, how I even began the message, and I, I listed all the ways I'm unqualified for the role of being a missions pastor. And you could take those unqualifications and say, really, it's, it's, it should be someone else who does this, not me. I want to help you to answer that call. I want to help you to see that this is a call that we, each of us, must answer. And I I want to do that by simply asking you five questions as we wrap up for today. Five questions that I've found helpful. Five questions that have come up as, as we've discussed outreach as a staff group over these last number of months. And the first question is this. Will you lay down your excuses? Will you lay down your excuses? Evangelism, missions, sharing the gospel, whatever you want to call it, can be a terrifying prospect. And it's true, we aren't all wired in the same way, are we? We're not all built in the same way such that doing some of these things comes naturally to us. But we have to take Jesus's commission and we have to look at the very words of it and we have to be honest with ourselves and we have to see there isn't a loophole here. <laughs> There's not a loophole for us to, to say, you know what, someone, that, that is part of the Christian life that is meant for someone else. We need to hear Jesus's words spoken to 12 disciples as the very words that are being spoken to us. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. I'm sending you. Are we really going to hear that and make excuses? Are we really going to hear that and say, 
next year, another time, someone else, later, when I feel more equipped. The Lord who saved us is calling us to go and share the very message that we have been saved by. So the first question, will you lay down your excuses? And as I ask that question, I want to remind you, the peace Jesus gives is not the same peace that the world offers you. That, that in the very commissioning of his disciples, he says before that, peace be with you. Is Jesus' peace sufficient to help you lay down your excuses? As you think about the way the world might give you peace, like staying inside, <laughs> not talking to your neighbors, that's awkward, of keeping the, the group the same, right? Let, let's just let's keep the group the same. When you add people, it changes the dynamic. That's the peace the world offers us, but, but perhaps, perhaps we'll find on the other side of the awkwardness and the excuses a, a peace, from Christ, that's even better. The second question, will you let Christ lead? Will you let Christ lead? So Jesus promises his presence on this mission. Will you ask him to fulfill that promise? When we hear in Matthew's commissioning, behold, I'm with you, even to the ends of the earth. Will you make good on that promise? Will you say, okay, all right, Lord, show me. Will you lift that up as a prayer request and say, Lord, help me to feel your presence so strongly in this, this task of missions such that I know that I'm not just doing it for you, I'm doing it with you. That you are with me as I go out and aim to be obedient to your call to go out to the nations with this message. Third question, Will you commit to having one gospel conversation over the next three weeks? So we've got a three-week sermon series here, okay? Will you commit to having one gospel conversation over the next three weeks? Now, if you're like me, and I think some of you are, you're going to take this message and your first thought is, you know what, I'm going to get a book. I'm going to read a book about evangelism. That's what I need to do. I'm just going to tell you, don't do that, Okay? I mean, let's save the book for later, all right? Did you know that books mean a whole lot more when you actually have categories to put the information that's in that book into? And so if you, you, know, you sit down, you're going to read a book about how to share the gospel with people, you're going to get so much more out of that book if you first try to share the gospel with people. And then you go back and be like, oh, there was my mistake, all right? That would have been helpful. Let me try again. But as I joke, I really do mean that. We can sit in our living rooms with books all days long. Let's share the gospel with people. Let's start by having conversations and let the books wait, and we can read those as we need them. So will you commit to having one gospel conversation over the next three weeks as we cover this series? The fourth question, will you broaden your definition of missions? Will you broaden your definition of missions? Now, you can tell that I've used a very broad definition of missions this morning, haven't I? Not once have I talked to you about getting on a plane and going anywhere. All right, so I am talking about missions in the broadest of senses. But even that sometimes isn't broad enough for us because we think of missions in our own categories as being, you know, the guy who goes door to door 
and, and, and knocks on doors and says, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And we're like, not me, not going to do that. And we, we, we leave missions, you know, outside our own home because of that. Or we think of the guy who, who you know, has to stand up in front of people on the streets of Chicago and yell the gospel to them, like that's missions. Or we think about going to an unreached people group and translating the Bible into their language, that's missions. I just want to ask, can you broaden your definition of missions a little bit? Let's broaden our definition of missions. Let's understand that, that missions is simply taking the peace that you have been offered in Christ Jesus and sharing it with someone else. We can do that. Parents, you can do this with your children. Sunday school teachers, you can do this with your students. It can happen during vacation Bible school and on church retreats or during carpool or around the lunch table. You can share the gospel with your friends. It doesn't have to be a stranger. It can be someone that you love talking with and enjoy their company. Let's broaden our definition of missions and get peace on our lips, the peace that Jesus offers, and share it with the people around us. The Lord will lead us in this. Finally, will you share this journey of answering the call to missions with one another here at this church? Will you share this journey with one another? We could walk out from here today Some of us could make a resolve to to do something. Some of us could do nothing. And we'll be none the wiser and none the better if we don't include one another in this task, right? There's something extremely helpful and powerful to have outreach be a normal conversation topic as the body of Christ. Whether it's in your flock or the guys that you meet with for breakfast, to, to say to one another, hey, how are we doing at being people who share the gospel, at answering the commission of our Lord and Savior. Have you done that recently? How did it go? What happened? Or, or can we say, hey, do you see the person sitting in the row back there? That's my neighbor. I've been praying for them to come, and they're here. Can we share in the joy of that with one another? Can we share in the struggle with that with one another to say, I've been praying for the Lord to help me grow in this area and I, I'm just, it's not happening. I'm just terrified as ever. Will you join me in praying for this? Can we do this together? I've been praying since taking on the role of missions pastor that the Lord would make us an outreach-oriented church. Now that might sound like it just carries all sorts of baggage for you. But don't let it. Don't let it carry any sort of baggage as to what, what will happen up here or, or wherever, you know. Outreach, we just want to be a people who have the gospel on our lips and want to share it with the people around us. And then we leave the fruit to him. We let him do the work of saving people. Let's pray now that the Lord would do that as we, as we finish today. Lord, we thank you for your call to missions. It's so crystal clear. And it, it comes from you, Jesus. And we love you. We love you. We love you. You have done everything for us. You've saved us. You've given us peace, not like the world gives us peace. Lord, the very message that was shared once with us, it needs to be shared with others. 
Would you use us to do that? Would you use us to be your hands and feet, your messengers? Would you help us to share with a lost and dying world the very truth that we needed to hear as we were lost and dying apart from you? Would you allow your peace to go out, whether it's to the people who live on Galusha Road or those who work in the Wheaton School Districts, or to Indonesia, Armenia, Slovenia? Would you do that work in us, Lord? We don't want to be a stagnant church. We don't want to be a church that, that looks inward and doesn't look outward. And would you be with us as you answer that prayer? Lead us, Lord. Lead us. We don't, we don't know all the ways that you would have us do that most effectively in our area. Lead us in it. Most of all, I pray for each individual this morning that you would give them, give them the spirit-wrought grace to answer the call to missions. Okay. Okay, Lord. I'm willing. I'm ready. Send me. Be with me. Help me. But send me. I want to go. In Jesus' name, amen.